Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. book Michael is a journey in itself so this journey then I'll tell you what this journey so, so like it's a good metaphor that so if this were a journey <laughs> we, we, we're just bobbing along on an Italian lake bobbing along on an Italian lake what Nothing's like lake? not there's been no massive wave that's crashed over my boat a sedate little it's just jaunt. a wonder isn't it a meander with some little bumps with it. oh Little bump there, that was all right. <laughs> but there's been nothing earth shattering, but it's been fairly pleasant. You don't feel like George Clooney in that movie where he's in. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a good one. That I, I liked, liked that. that book. I liked that book. So we are in the final of four episodes of Amp Up Your Sales before Andy Paul, the author, joins us for a special edition show, uh, which you will all be able to see live, well, not live, but recorded on YouTube and LinkedIn. Um, and we're on the final two parts of the book. Part seven is Mastering Stories That Sell. It is. And by the way, the book is a collection of uh, uh, of small pieces of advice. Yeah. In chapters. Which I think is quite a good idea, actually. Yeah. In chapters. And there are 40 chapters. Wowzers. All short. No, not, I don't think there's one longer than five pages. Yeah. This, so this section, as you rightly say, is part seven, Mastering Stories That Tell. I hate, hate this bit. And he's talking about chapter 34, becoming an effective content curator and provider. Now, I talked a little bit about this when we were talking about combo prospecting. Um, and what he's saying is a company's website and various social media channels are the key distribution points of the pool of content it has produced about the products and services it markets. The company makes strategic and tactical decisions about how to communicate that content to potential customers, whether by blog, tweet, email, brochure, slide deck, webinar, data sheet, phone call, or other means. And what he's saying is you've got to start curating content that you can give to the client and almost be the filter that provides a cut through to the noise that your customer is getting from a content perspective. Now, I partially get that and I partially don't. Um, and as somebody that sort of kind of knows a bit about content creation, I've got a few objections. One is the whole concept of curating content. And, you know, Lauren is sat in front of us here running the recording and, and so on. Laura and I spent a lot of time experimenting with using other people's content, DJing it as the yeah, phrase. Yeah. It's just rubbish. You get no response to it, and all you are actually doing is adding noise. Yeah, but you're talking about getting no response to generate incoming leads. He's talking about doing be, it to provide he's with the talking about being the filter with the Yeah, customer. so what he's almost saying is you should be able to go to a customer with a piece of content that you found that's incredibly pertinent to them and deliver so it. So if to you them. worked for somebody on the Gartner Magic Quadrant, and the new report came out today, and you'd send it to your prospect to go, look, what's up, right? Well, no, he's saying you should be a bit, probably a little bit more selfless than that in your value drive, which is, hi, just a quick note, so the new magic quadrant's out. Okay. You'll notice that actually my arch rivals are top right. 
So, so, so that's your problem with it. What, what do you like about it? So my problem with it is I just think you're adding more to the noise. See, my problem with it is that is a full-time job. Oh, that is so time-consuming. When are people going to do that? It, oh, so I've got to canvas and I've got to get on the road. That is the job of your employer. That's their marketing department's job. Yes, I, I, in many respects, I think the, the role of the marketing department is changing in a way. Yes. And actually, that is marketing should, a really switched on marketing department should be providing people with curated content. Almost, you know, in a, in a utopian world, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, if that's the job of creating cut through, smart marketing departments should be turning around to sales teams and going, here's this month's pack. Yes, I agree, completely. Here's this month's value add, this, you know, here's this month's value add pack. Yep. But actually, if I was running a team of sales guys selling software and I rang up Joe tomorrow and said, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm curating. Curating content. I'm clipping articles off the internet to send to customers. Oh, I'm not convinced I'd feel that good about that. I agree. That's my problem with it. I'm not convinced. Completely. Uh, uh, um, and I, I get, I, I'll tell you what I do like is he talks about creating an information roadmap for each sales opportunity. As the salesperson, you need to thoroughly map out the entire set of in-house and curated content that each customer will need to make an informed decision per, and the decision to purchase your product. Now, obviously, he does, he's very antithetic to the concept of a prescriptive sales process. Yes. But actually, if let's just say there was a prescriptive sales process and you said to yourself, okay, there are eight stages to my typical sales process and I've got the following pieces of content that I would use around each one, that wouldn't be a bad place to start. Yeah, that's a fair point. Roughly. So I'm not completely against that. I just think it needs a bit more flexibility. And then he talks about identifying relevant third parties of information. And it's like you say, that's just a rabbit hole. You know, set up Google alerts for every qualified prospect, subscribe to key blogs in the customer's market space, find third-party analyst or academic research on your product category. I get it. I get it. But... It's a good idea. You don't have time it, to do it. it I, I, I just think... You don't have time to do it. And I also think that some people just don't have the experience. Well, I don't. Or... I don't. I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, you're dealing with one client at the moment that sells the most esoteric technology to the most esoteric of markets. What are you going to do? Start clipping content... Well, what am I going to start clipping? ...on what that client does. I'm not... It's that esoteric that actually if I told the listeners what the client does there's probably only three companies in the world that do it and it'd be, yeah, exactly. be easy to find out who Mike's customer is but what are you going to do start researching their target market to prove to them that you're thinking about ah oh, come on chapter I think they'd rather you came up with some candidates chapter 35 four questions to build compelling sales stories so these four questions are better explained in the next chapter actually the four questions are what problems are they trying to solve why was your exper expertise relevant to the problem they were trying to solve why did I think there's some, there's some context in it. Sorry to interject, Mike. No, I think there's some context can. here now. Because what he's talking about here is telling stories to illustrate right. the point. Whoa, he slammed the book on the table. Why have you slammed the book on the table, Pricey? Because he's going to talk about this for a few chapters now and all the rest of it. And i tell you what. A, so he's going to talk about, uh, one of the examples he gives is somebody who walks on a stand. You remember that bit? Exhibition stand. Exhibition stand, yeah. And they ask a question, and he says, rather than answer the question, tell a story about a client that was in a similar position. So the client walks on your exhibition stand and says, what, tell me, guys, what do you do? Yeah, and he goes, well, do you know what? 
just looking at you, I, I was asked this, you know, only half an hour ago by, by somebody actually, and this was their experience and this is what I did. This, I, I quite like using stories as a metaphor, but this guy's just, I think the stories in his book are just bloody made up, frankly. And I actually also think that a lot of the salespeople that we have aren't competent enough sales uh, storytellers to make it work for them. And I think just the whole telling a story thing is a load of rubbish. Why don't you just tell people the truth? Or B, why don't you just ask them questions as to find out why they're asking you the question? Now, you see, I'm in disagreement because actually I do use stories a lot. Yeah, but not in the way he says it. I do. No, I use story. I just, I'll throw stories in to illustrate points. Yeah. But actually, if a customer asks me, what do I do? Yeah, or if a customer, do I open an interaction with a story? No, you don't. No. You should be sympathetic to the book. I need rapport. But I'll tell you what, I love using stories. I do, and I love selectively using selectively and part, and, and, and only maybe as a, like as a 30th of your sales process. Yes, because actually what you can come across as is just anecdotal. Boring anecdotal just some guy. boring old anecdotal He's saying git. exchange information in stories is the best way to do it. I just don't think it is. I think it's, it has a point of suitability at certain points. Yes, the, the, there comes a point where you start thinking, he's just anecdotal, this guy. All he talks about is this anecdote and that anecdote. Why don't you just get cut just to tell it? me the answer. It can be infuriating. Just tell me but the answer. equally... I think a story and storytelling and metaphor is one of the most powerful... Metaphor is, I agree with I think that. metaphor and storytelling is one of the most powerful tools a, a, a quality salesperson or any salesperson can have at their disposal if they can harness it. It's a good one. I mean, how long should my stories be? How many stories do I need? Well, you only need three stories. Really? You need a core of at least three stories. No, I, lo- I love a good a good story in a meeting. I've, you know, sometimes customers will ask us about inward revenue, and I've got this little story I tell about. You and I sat there one day, and we decided that the business wasn't working. We decided we'd change the business model. So let's and, say, and actually, so let's that, say, that story really illustrates the so, point. So you're out on a client then, yeah, and a guy goes, "Tell me a little bit about about inward revenue," and you tell a story. I often do, yeah. Maybe it's why I couldn't have my clients converting, Mike. Possibly. <laughs> Just a weird lead with the story if somebody asks me about it. Absolutely. It, 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 now no that chance. I never realised actually what I do is I tell them the story, but they it is a story. never do. And do you know... Literally never. But do you remember, you have to remember that you're naturally quite an odd character and you are an extremely literal character. Maybe. Stories are, you know, our whole society is based on stories. Human beings love to hear We're going to have an interesting conversation, me, you and this fellow, whatever his name is. Because I'm all with on. Andy on the whole on, on, on the concept of stories. Human all. beings love stories. Why do you think we watch TV all day? Because we love stories. We like made-up stories. watch TV. People watch TV to escape from their life. Because, and they why, escape why? from their life in a story. Well, why do you watch... Why do people play video games? Because they love the story. That's just not true. Because actually, when you're watching on TV, why do you watch Love Island? Because it's a story unfolding in real life. It's not a story. (laughs) Anyway. I don't watch Love Island. Thank you very much. I do, actually. (laughs) Far too too high. Anyway, so getting back to it. So you can gather, listeners, this guy, Andy, what's his name, talks about stories a lot. And therefore... I just don't like these chapters. I've, I've mentioned this before on this show, but if anybody's listening, or a favourite book of mine is a book called The Magic of Metaphor. Um, 
which is all about telling stories using metaphor in either a therapeutic or sales context. It's brilliant. And it will really get you thinking about the stories you tell and the way you intersperse metaphor, particularly metaphor. Okay. Because it's hypnotic and manipulative. Ooh. But you see... But it is. Let's go back. Using metaphor is hypnotic and disagree, manipulative. I'm not disagree with you. Not with you. This guy doesn't, doesn't do that, though, does no, he? No, he's saying... He's saying that he's would... Sa- and that's the point, actually. It's contradictory. Because, actually, telling saying, stories is hypnotic and manipulative. He's saying we shouldn't do that. We can't influence the buying process. Just give the people the information are, more quickly. Because telling stories is hypnotic and manipulative. It's, he's actually... He doesn't realise how manipulative a good, a good, well-thought-through story is because people drop their guard and go into their subconscious when you start telling a story. That's I reality. Are your stories worth repeating? So what he's talking about in Chapter 36 here is your stories have got to be at a point where they're memorable, punchy, and where actually your coach or your advocate inside the account retelling the story. can retell the story for you. I just don't think that'll happen. I just don't think that'll happen. I, I think it'd be lovely if it did. I'm less of a don't think and more of a don't know. I, I think it'd be a lovely thing if the story you we've established that you tell to the person that you meet at first appointment, so you go meet Bill. But society itself is is is... The fabric of society is based on stories that we retell each other. Yeah, that's changing though, isn't it, in the information age? No, it's just the stories get told quicker. No, nah, it's changing that. But let's just go through your process. So your sales process, you told me, is you sit down with Bill at first meeting. Yeah. Bill says, tell me a little bit about Inward Revenue. And I tell this fab story and then Bill interspersed will, and with great metaphor yeah, that sits right inside Bill's subconscious and mind. Then Bill walks lights, out, and then Bill lights walks him out, up like a campfire. And then Bill walks out. Yeah. And Sally, who's Bill's boss, says, all right, Bill, how's it going? And he goes, and he oh, says, just seen this, this guy, sales guy. Let me tell you the story he told me. Bill didn't do that. Sally goes, what does he do? Bill goes, IT sales recruitment. Sally goes, are you going to use him? Bill goes, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he seemed like a really good bloke. You don't so retell the story. Okay. So I engaged with a supplier who actually turned out to be shit in the end. <laughs> Good. But the initial engagement started off with their technology closing me itself for an appointment. Do you remember? No, but... And at the time, it was a paid trial, paid pilot. And the story, actually, that we agreed that trial based on a story I told you. About was it their story? They created the story via the demo. Maybe that was smart then. It but, was really cute. But I say all this knocking all knocking, you know, every every client here. And the demo of the software was such at the at the point at which where actually it created an appointment in my diary and it was all very clever. And I was like, wow. And then I told the story to you and you were like, Jesus Christ, mate, that sounds amazing. I am gonna disagree with myself though, because what are reference sites? Stories. They're stories. They're asking somebody else to tell the story for you. Yeah. But that's the problem with this book. Which is what? He just sort of doesn't explain himself very well. Oh, so we're... So, uh, I don't uh, think. Uh, so are we into the end of the, uh, of the no, conversation No, no, we've got here? a lot more of the book to go. Okay, part eight, selling through customer service. Actually, can I just pick up on something that he said? <laughs> which is which is what I do like about chapter 37, integrating stories into your selling practice. Okay. 
I, th- I think something I do like about what he says, actually, is when you tell sales stories, prospects get insights about their businesses as well as a third-party validation. So I think the only point at which the story is good is when you can say, we have done it for them, therefore we can do it for you. Mm-hmm. Because then you're validating with the competitor, aren't you? So, so I do like that. Anyway, you're going to move on to the what's the next bit. Yeah, because there's not really a lot in the whole concept of integrating stories into your selling process. All he's saying is integrate stories into your selling process. Um, and then chapter eight, selling through customer service. What do you make of this one? Well, chapter 38. So I've put, on, I've put under this. Look, you see my red writing. Selling and service. He goes on badly to explain that if you are in touch with a, w- w- with a prospect, post-sale, you can sell a bit more. Absolutely right. Yes. Because actually, you may, I don't know if it's this chapter or the next one. It says that what often happens is the, sale, the seller makes the sale and then doesn't want to go and speak to the client again because the seller doesn't want to have any objections that the client has post-sale. Yeah. Which I think happens a lot. You get a lot in recruitment, don't you? Which well, is, it, oh, let's not speak to them after they've hired Bill. Oh, I'm frightened. He might not like my candidate. No, actually, we've got a new uh, pricing mechanism called IRC Guaranteed. Well, we don't care if they like well, we the don't. candidate or not. because oh, well, 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 we do care, obviously, but... It, it, we're not in that place where we're worried about having to give the money back. Correct, yeah. Absolutely. So I'll tell you an interesting story today. Here's a story now. <laughs> um, <laughs> is I've got a candidate sat in an interview right here, right now. And that candidate... Is Come on, Bill. Whatever your name is. And uh, it's a final interview. Anyway, he is going for a job that is an overlay job inside a company that have got about 800 accounts. And he's going to be a specialist on a particular strand of technology, hopefully, in that business. And he's going to run up a little division inside that business selling this particular product to the existing client base. One of the things I've asked him to do today is prepare a bit of a business plan. And I said to him, walk me through your business plan. He, he made a great point on this service point. He said, one of the first things I would do is actually I'm going to go and talk to the support team. Right. I said, why? And he said, because there's loads of leads coming into support. And I went, what do you mean? And he said, there's loads of people ringing up about issue X, which actually is a lead for the product that I'm going to be selling into that account base. Smart idea, that. Because I know who it and is. The, so yeah, and, and really he said, smart. that issue actually isn't an issue. That's not a support issue. It's a lead. But I've got to educate support that that's a lead so that they make sure that I'm aware every time somebody asks about X that actually I get to know about it. Because that's smart. a sales lead for me. And he said, if they're dealing with 800 customers... How many of those questions are they getting a week on support? So I get his, I get Andy's point here. Yes, that's a good point, that. How many support issues are actually leads? How many customer issues are actually leads for more stuff? Yep. And it's very easy to get into that, oh, God, shit, the customer's got problems. Oh, God, I'm not going to get my commission. Well, the point Andy's making is that a lot of them are leads. Yeah, yeah. They're that's leads for that. 20 more days. They're leads for 20 more days of consulting work or leads for module X or product Y or introducing a partner Z that might then introduce you to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very fair so I think that's then. a really, I, I, I was sort of a bit grumpy about this chapter. I was a bit like, oh, selling is customer service. I'm not a customer services guy. And then I did think about my candidate that's in that interview right now and thought, actually, he's got a point, this fella. But that's pretty much the top and bottom of the chapter. I've yeah, just kind of, that chapter. Yeah, I've just kind of used a metaphor and a story, story, Michael, to illustrate the point. But actually, my story was true because he's actually in the interview right now as we record this. 
And then he talks about the most important sales call, which is... He says, hey, he says, you get an order and your instinct is to quickly move on to the next prospect. Yeah. Before the customer asks a question that you're afraid of answering and further, it will cause a change of mind. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can remember reading one of my favourite sales books, which was by The Wolf. Yeah, what does The Wolf say? The Wolf said, if they're only partially committed, completely take it away from them. And he had this thing about a pendulum. Do you remember that? Yeah. Now, I quite like The Wolf's point on the pendulum. Because The Wolf would say... If you know in your gut that there might be a problem once they've signed the paperwork, you haven't got to sell. Yeah, you haven't done the job. The job's not done. So the fact that he mentions that, I think, well, actually, if you know the job's done, you should be very comfortable phoning the guy the day after they've signed it. Yes. Is what I thought. I think sometimes it's nice to phone people the day after they sign it and thank them. I agree completely. I'm ringing to just say thanks. Thanks for working with me. Thanks for giving me a chance. I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. It's a nice touch. Human. I thought this was interesting. Sales calculus rule one. Your customer's expectations for your product or service expand logarithmically in proportion to the number of sellers that they talk to. Go on. So the more sellers they talk to, the more their expectations for your product are. Yeah, okay, yeah. Makes sense to me, that. Yeah, perfect sense. Absolutely. And then for every degree of positive expectation on the part of the customer, there is a two-degree letdown where what, when what you actually deliver doesn't precisely align with overinflated expectations. Yeah, all makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then final chapter, build customer relationships that last. There's not really a lot in there. Other than no, there's not really. The importance of building customer relationships that last. So, as we I have like done, the fact, by the way, there's no summary, that's just it. And then it just ends. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It doesn't wrap up or anything. It's just, right, I've had enough of you now, readers. So I'm going to tell you what I think of this book. Okay. It does not make a top 10 for me. But mm. I have read a lot of books. Yeah, and we've read a lot of sales books in the last year now, haven't we? 18 months that we've been recording Book Club. And I'll tell you the best bits about this book. There is a good chapter. Chapter 6 is a beaut. Which one was that one? Oh, I can't remember right now. I think chapter 6 is a beauty. Hang on, I'll tell you. Chapter six. It's the one about adding value at every point of your... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Earning selling time. Yeah. That's an absolute beaut, that. I like the fact he talks about conversion rates and he sort of goes, listen, you've just got to get on your phone sometimes. Stop being a wuss about it and get on your phone. Yeah, like that's right. I think that you would be as well just reading all of the headlines and then everything in bold, so the subheadings in the chapters, and not actually bothering reading the words. They're not particularly keen on how it's written. I think that it's got a few points that are all right. It's an all right book. You're always glad you've read them. I think he's going to be an interesting interesting guy. I've not looked him up on LinkedIn. I wonder whether he's from a big company. He has a feel of a big company man now selling to SMEs. Mm. And I've not looked at his background on LinkedIn. It's, a, it's, a, it's an okay book. I'm going to give it six out of ten. Okay, my summary is, I, I didn't enjoy reading it. <laughs> I didn't, um, but as we've sat here and talked about it, what surprised me is how much I've got out of it. It's funny, so, isn't it, doing the review? You do get a lot out of it, actually. And how much, actually, it's got me thinking about a few different aspects of my game that I hadn't thought about for a while. And therefore, it has delivered value. 
and therefore it gets six and a half from me. Right, so it scored a touch higher for you. Yeah, because actually there's a couple of bits I'm going to use. And it's only six and a half because we've read some real belters now. You're comparing it against some, yeah, some awesome the, books. The, the field now is is brutally challenging as we're 18 months into the Well, it's show. interesting. I had to, Lauren asked me to uh, write a LinkedIn article on my five best books. Yeah. I can't remember what was in it now. I think <laughs> Seven Habits. Yeah. Um, the Negotiation One. Yeah. Uh, the New Strategic Selling. Yeah. Spin Selling. Yeah. And Combo Prospecting. Right. Interesting. It's not better than any of those, unfortunately. No, but it is, I'll tell you what, and this is, you know, I was talking to a customer the other day and the customer said to me, would you spend your own money on that candidate? Um, which is a stock question that you and I ask each other all the time about specific candidates when we're, when we're thinking about matches for jobs and so on. Um, would I recommend this book to another salesperson who was thinking of picking a book? This, if somebody rang me tomorrow and said, I'm going away, I've got a couple of cheeky weeks books in Tenerife before the weather dries out. Uh, what do you reckon? Amp Up Your Sales by Andy Paul or XYZ. I'll tell you what, you'll get a lot out of it, but it would be context specific depending on the salesperson. Okay. So six and a half from me. I'm really looking forward to meeting Andy next week when we when we do our interview with him. My main reason being is I think he's going to add a lot of context. Probably. And I think that he'll bring a lot to this conversation we've had today. So I see, might re-review my six and a half is, next week. See, part of the problem we have is it's actually we're very honest. Yeah. I think a lot of people are very reverential. When, you know, when they read books... And I read some of the film reviews sometimes. I don't don't pay any attention to them really now. Because I think to myself, the film reviewers, have you actually really watched Well, what's interesting is low, a low-level reviewer is seldom grumpy about a piece yeah. of art. Whereas I noticed, for example, the Brad Pitt movie is a good example. Uh, the guy in The Guardian leathered it. Right. Why? Because he's the film critic for The Guardian. Uh, and the guy in The Independent wasn't that kind. Whereas the guy in The Metro... Who's just building? That's a big paper. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know your point. Though. I get your point. He's not the he's not the film critic for the Guardian, is he? He was much more reverential of it. There you go. Um, and uh, and arrogantly, therefore, what we're saying is we've become the Guardian of no, sales. I books. think you've got to be honest about honest about it. But to be fair, you well, know, what does you, it take to get a ten? Well, none of the books I've just mentioned have got a ten. No, and to be fair, Mike, well, you know we've reached a point now with this podcast and with the show where if you look at some of the authors that we're getting on, we've got some big high-profile names coming up and we're covering some big high-profile books in the next few months and therefore the field is getting tough. Yeah, of course it is, yeah. But overall, have I got anything out of Amp Up Your Sales? Definitely. I'd be really thinking a lot more about the value I deliver in each touch point. Yes, chapter six, that's the one. The value I deliver in every single touch point and asking myself, even down to, you know, like I've sent an SMS to a candidate this morning, just about things to think about for an interview and asking myself, am I really delivering value here to the candidate or am I really delivering value here to my client by what I'm saying to my candidate? And just thinking a lot more about the layers of my value add at a personal level. That's really got me thinking about that. And overall, it's been good. So we will see you next week where we'll be interviewing Andy Paul on the show and you can join us. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.